chapter twenty of sons of fire by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain a white star made of memory long ago it would never do those words of martha's so earnestly spoken by the kind soul who cared for me almost as tenderly as a mother cares for her own haunted me all through the rapid run to cambridge walked the quadrangles of trinity with me tramped the trumpington road upon my shoulders like that black care which sits behind the traveller it would never do no need to ask my good martha for the meaning of that emphatic assertion i knew what shape her thoughts had taken as she watched me sitting by the little square piano the old old piano with such a thin tinkling sound listening to that seraphic voice and looking at that delicate profile and exquisite colouring of faintly flushed cheek lifted eye and shadowy hair my old nurse had surprised my secret almost before i knew it myself but by the time i was back in my shabby ground-floor sitting-room at trinity i knew as well as martha knew that i had let myself fall deep in love with a girl whom i could never marry with my mother's approbation i might take my own way in life and marry the girl i loved but to do so would be to forfeit my mother's affection to make myself an outcast from her house i know what kind of a lady your mother is said martha in her valedictory address was i her son likely to be ignorant of the mother's character or unable to gauge the strength of her prejudices prejudices that seem so much a part of her nature as to form a strong argument against locke's assertion that there are no innate ideas indeed in reading that philosopher's famous chapter it always seemed to me that if the average infant had to begin the a b c of life at the first letter my mother must have been born with her brain richly stocked with family pride and social distinctions in all the years i had lived with her i had never seen her unbend to a servant or converse on equal terms with a tradesman she had a full appreciation of the value of wealth when it was allied with good birth but the millionaire manufacturer or the lucky speculator belonged to that outer circle of which she knew nothing and of which she would believe no good i was her only son and she was a widow i owed her more than most sons owe their mothers i did not stand as number four or five in a family circle taking my share in the rough and tumble of family life my mother had been all in all to me and i had been all in all to her i had been her friend and companion from the time i was able to understand the english language the recipient of all her ideas her likes and dislikes from that early stage when the childish mind unconsciously takes shape and bent from the mind of the parent the child loves best from my seventh year i was fatherless and all that is sacred and sweet in home life began and ended for me with the word mother my mother was what gerald standish called a masterful woman a woman to whom it was natural to direct and initiate the whole business of life my father was her opposite in temperament irresolute lymphatic and i think he must have handed her the reins of home government before their honeymoon was over i remember him just well enough to remember that he left the direction of his life wholly to her 
that he deferred to her judgment and studied her feelings in every detail of his existence and that he obviously adored her i don't think he cared very much for me his only child i can recall no indication of warmth of feeling on his part only a placid indifference as of one whose affection was concentrated upon a single object and whose heart had no room for any other image he spoke of me as the boy and looked at me occasionally with an air of mild wonder as if i were somebody else's son whose growth took him by surprise i never remember his expressing any opinion about me except that i had grown since he looked at me last his feeling about me being thus tepid it was hardly surprising that he should make what many people have called an unjust will i have never disputed its justice for i loved my mother too much to complain of the advantages of power and status which that will gave her she was an heiress and her money had cleared my father's estate from considerable encumbrances and no doubt he remembered this when providing for her future he was her senior by five-and-twenty years and foresaw a long widowhood for her the entail ended in his own person so he was free to dispose of his property as he liked he left my mother tenant for life and he left me five hundred a year chargeable to the estate which income was only to begin when i came of age till my one-and-twentieth birthday i was dependent upon my mother for everything i told myself that i had to cut out my own path in life and that i must be the architect of my own fortune my mother's income under her marriage settlement was considerable and this in addition to a rent-roll of between two and three thousand a year made her a rich woman assuredly i was not in a position to make an imprudent marriage since my power to maintain a wife and family in accord with my own ideas of a gentleman's surroundings must depend for a considerable time upon my mother's liberality i had made up my mind to go to the bar and i knew how slow and arduous is the road to success in that branch of the legal profession but far nearer than mere questions of interest was the obligation which filial love laid upon me my mother had given me the devotion of years had made me the chief object of her thoughts and her hopes and i should be an ungrateful wretch if i were to disappoint her i knew alas that upon this very question of marriage she cherished a project that it would distress her to forego and that there was a certain lady emily whom i was intended to marry the daughter of a nobleman who had been my father's most intimate friend and for whom my mother had a greater regard than for any of our neighbours knowing this and wishing with all my heart to do my duty as a son to the best of mothers i could but echo martha's solemn words it would never do no it would never do the seraphic voice the spiritual countenance the appealing helplessness which had so moved my pity must be to me as a dream from which i had awakened esperanza's fate must rest henceforward with herself aided by honest martha blake and helped through martha from my purse i must never see her again no word had been spoken no hint had been given of the love which it was my bounden duty to conquer and forget i could contemplate the inevitable renunciation with a clear conscience i worked harder in that term than i had worked yet and shut my door against all the allurements of undergraduate friends and all the pleasures of university life i was voted churlish and a muff but i found my books the best cure for an unhappy love and though the image of miss campbell was oftener with me than the learned shade of newton or the later ghost of wewell 
i contrived to do some really good work my mother and i wrote to each other once a week she expected me to send her a budget of gossip and opinion and it was only in this term that i began to feel a difficulty in filling two sheets of note-paper with my niggling penmanship for the first time in my life i found myself sitting pen in hand with nothing to say to my mother i could not write about esperanza or the passionate yearning which i was trying to outlive i could hardly expatiate upon my mathematical studies to a woman who although highly cultivated knew nothing of mathematics i eked out my letter as best i could with a laboured criticism upon a feeble novel which i had idly skimmed in an hour of mental exhaustion i looked forward apprehensively to my home-going in december fearing that some change in my outward aspect might betray the mystery of my heart the holiday once so pleasant would be long and dull the shooting would afford some relief perhaps and i made up my mind to tramp the plantations all day long at cambridge i had shirked physical exercise in suffolk i would walk down my sorrow a letter from my mother which reached me early in december put an end to these resolves she had been somewhat out of health all through november and her local medical man who was old and passe had only tormented her with medicines which made her worse she had therefore decided at miss marjoram's earnest desire upon spending my vacation in london and jephson her trusty major-domo had been up to town and had found her delightful lodgings on the north side of hyde park she would await me not at fendyke but in Connock place Connock place within less than an hour's walk of great ormond street my heart beat fast and furiously at the mere thought of that propinquity martha's latest letter had told me that all attempts at finding a situation for my protege had so far been without result martha and her charge had visited all the agencies for the placing of governesses and companions and no agent had succeeded in placing esperanza her education was far below the requirements of the least exacting employer she knew very little french and no german she played exquisitely but she played by ear of the theory of music she knew hardly anything her father and enthusiast and a dreamer had filled her with ideas but had taught her nothing that would help her to earn a living don't you fret about her mr george wrote martha as long as i have a roof over my head she can make her home with me her bite and sup makes hardly any difference in the week's expenses i'm only sorry for her sake that she isn't clever enough to get into a nice family in some pretty country house like fendyke it's a dull life for her here a back parlour to live in and two old people for her only companions i thought of the small dark parlour in the bloomsbury lodging-house the tinkling old piano the dull grey street a weary life for a girl a poetic temperament reared in the country that letter of martha's and the fact of being within an easy walk of great ormond street broke down my resolution of the last two months i called upon martha and her charge on the morning after i left cambridge i thought esperanza looking wan and out of health and could but mark how the pale sad face flushed and brightened at sight of me we were alone for a few minutes while martha interviewed a butcher and i seized the opportunity i said i feared she was not altogether happy only unhappy in being a burden to my friends she told me she was depressed by finding her own uselessness hundreds of young women were earning their living as governesses but no one would employ her no lady will even give me a trial she said i'm afraid i must look very stupid you look very lovely i answered hotly they want a commoner clay i implored her to believe that she was no burden to martha or to me 
if she could be content to live that dull and joyless life she was at least secure of a safe and respectable home and if she cared to carry on her education something might be done in the way of masters or she might attend some classes in harley street or elsewhere she turned red and then pale and i saw tears trembling on her long auburn lashes i'm afraid i am unteachable she faltered with downcast eyes kind ladies at besbury tried to teach me but it was no use my mind always wandered i could not keep my thoughts upon the book i was reading or on what they told me miss grimshaw who wanted to help me said i was incorrigibly idle and atrociously obstinate but indeed it was not idleness or obstinacy that kept me from learning i could not force myself to think or to remember my thoughts would only go their own way and i cared for nothing but music or for the poetry my father used to read to me sometimes of an evening i'm afraid miss grimshaw was right and that i ought to be a dressmaker i glanced at the hands which lay loosely clasped upon the arm of the chair in which she was sitting such delicately tapering fingers were never meant for the dressmaker's workroom the problem of esperanza's life was not to be solved that way i did not remain long on this first morning but i went again two days afterwards and again until it came to be every day martha grumbled and warned me of my danger and of the wrong done to esperanza if i were to make her care for me i don't think there's much fear of that added martha she's too much in the clouds it's you i'm afraid of you and me knows who mamma wants you to marry don't us mr george i could not gainsay martha upon this point lady emily and i had ridden the same rocking horse she riding pillion with her arms clasped round my waist while i urged the beast to his wildest pace we had taken tea out of the same toy tea-things her tea-things and before i was fifteen years of age my mother told me that she was pleased to see i was so fond of emily and hoped that she and i would be husband and wife some day in the serious future just as we were little lovers now in the childish present i remember laughing at my mother's speech and thinking within myself that emily and i hardly realized my juvenile idea of lovers the romantic element was entirely wanting in our association when i talked of lady emily later to gerald standish i remember i described her as a good sort and discussed her excellent qualities of mind and temper with an unembarrassed freedom which testified to a heart that was at peace i felt more mortified than i would have cared to confess at martha's blunt assurance that esperanza was too much in the clouds to care about me and it may be that this remark of my old nurse's gave just the touch of pique that acted as a spur to passion i know that after two or three afternoons in great ormond street i felt that i loved this girl as i could never love again and that henceforward it would be impossible for me to contemplate the idea of life without her the more fondly i loved her the less demonstrative i became and my growing reserve threw dust in the elderly eyes that watched us martha believed that her warning had taken effect and she so far confided in my discretion as to allow me to take esperanza for lamp-lit walks in the bloomsbury squares after our cosy tea-drinking in the little back parlour the tea-drinking and the walk became an institution martha's rheumatics had made walking exercise impossible for her during the last month benjamin was fat and lazy if i didn't let the poor child go out with you she'd hardly get a breath of fresh air all the winter and i know that i can trust you mr george said martha yes you can trust me answered i she might trust me to breathe no word of evil into the ear of her i loved she could trust me to revere the childlike innocence which was my darling's highest charm she could trust me to be loyal and true to esperanza but she could not trust me to be worldly wise or to sacrifice my own happiness to filial affection 
the time came when i had to set my love for esperanza against my duty to my mother and my own interests duty and interest kicked the beam oh those squares those grave old bloomsbury squares with their formal rows of windows and monotonous iron railings and stately doorways and clean doorsteps and enclosures of trees whose blackened branches showed leafless against the steely sky of a frosty evening what groves or streams of paradise could be fairer to us too than the dull pavements which we paced arm in arm in the wintry grayness telling each other those thoughts and fancies which seemed in their intuitive sympathy to marcus for predestined life companions her thoughts were childishly expressed sometimes but it seemed to me always as if they were only my thoughts in a feminine guise nothing that she said ever jarred upon me and her ignorance of the world and all its ways suggested some nymph or fairy reared in the seclusion of woodland or ocean cave i thought of endymion and i fancied that his goddess could have been scarcely less of the earth than this fair girl who walked beside me confiding in me with a childlike faith one night i told her that i loved her we had stayed out later than usual the clock of st george's church was striking nine and in the shadowy quiet of queen square my lips met hers in love's first kiss how shyly and how falteringly she confessed her own secret so carefully guarded till that moment i never thought you could care for a poor girl like me she said but i loved you from the first yes almost from the very first my heart seemed frozen after my father's death and your voice was the first that thought it the dull benumbed feeling gradually passed away and i knew that i had some one living to love and care for and think about as i sat alone i had a world of new thoughts to interweave with the music i love ah that music esperanza i am almost jealous of music when i see you so moved and influenced by it music would have been my only consolation if you had not cared for me she answered simply but i do care for you and i want you to be my wife now at once as soon as we can be married i talked about an immediate marriage before the registrar but willing as she was to be guided by me in most things she would not consent to this it would not seem like marriage to me she said if we did not stand before the altar well it shall be in a church then only we shall have to wait longer and i must go back to cambridge at the end of this week i must give an exit and come up to london on our wedding day and take you home in the evening i shall have a quiet home ready for my darling far from the can of dons and undergraduates but with an easy distance of the varsity i explained to her that our marriage must be a secret till i came of age next year or till i could find a favourable opportunity of breaking the fact to my mother will she mind will she be angry asked esperanza not when she comes to know you dear love well as i knew my mother's character i was infatuated enough to believe what i said where was the heart so stony that would not warm to that fair and gentle creature where the pride so stubborn which that tender influence could not bend i had the bands put up at the church of st george the martyr assured that martha's rheumatism and benjamin's lethargic temper would prevent either of them attending the morning service on any of the three fateful sundays if martha went to church at all she crept there in the evening after tea she liked the gaslights and the evening warmth the short prayers and the long sermon and she met her own class among the congregation i felt tolerably safe about the bands had my mother been in good health it would have been difficult for me to spend so many of my evenings away from home but the neuralgic affection which had troubled her in suffolk had not been subjugated by the great dr gall's treatment and she passed a good deal of her life in her own rooms and in semi-darkness ministered to by a lady who had been a member of our household ever since my father's death and whose presence had been the only drawback to my home happiness 
this lady was my mother's governess miss marjoram a woman of considerable brain-power wide knowledge of english and german literature and a style of pianoforte playing which always had the effect of cold water down my back and yet miss marjoram played correctly she introduced no discords into that hard dry music which seemed to me to have been written expressly for her hard and precise finger-tips bony knuckles and broad strong hand with a thumb which she boasted of as resembling thalberg's in a difficult and complicated movement miss marjoram's thumb worked wonders it was ubiquitous it turned under and over and rapped out sharp staccato notes in the midst of presto runs or held rigid semi-breves while the active fingers fired volleys of chords or raced the bass with lightning triplets in whatever entanglement a florid ornament liszt or thalberg had wrapped up a melody miss marjoram's thumb could search it out and drum it into her auditors miss marjoram was on the wrong side of fifty she had a squat figure and a masculine countenance and her voice was deep and strong like the voice of a man she dressed with a studious sobriety in dark cloth or in grey alpaca according to the seasons and in the evening she generally wore plaid poplin which ruled her square squat figure into smaller squares i have observed an affinity between plain people and plaid poplin miss marjoram was devoted to my mother and antagonistic as her nature was to me in all things and blighting as was her influence upon the fond dream of my youth i am bound to record that she was conscientious in carrying out her own idea of duty her idea of duty unhappily included no indulgence for youthful impulses and she disapproved of every independent act of mine my evening absences puzzled her i wonder you can like to be out nearly every evening when your mother is so ill she remarked severely on my return to Connaught place after that glimpse of paradise in queen square if i could be of any use to my mother by staying at home you may be sure i should not be out miss marjoram i replied rather stiffly it would be a satisfaction to your mother to know you were under her roof even when she is obliged to be resting quietly in her own room unfortunately my mathematical coach lives under another roof and i have to accommodate myself to his hours this was sophistication but it was true that i read mathematics with an ex-senior wrangler in south kensington every other day do you spend every evening with your coach asked miss marjoram looking up suddenly from her needlework and fixing me with her cold gray eye certainly not you know the old saw all work and no play and how do you amuse yourself when you are not at south kensington i did not think you knew many people in london that is because i know very few people whom you know my chief friends are the friends of my college life not the worthy bucolics of suffolk miss marjoram sighed and went on with her sewing she delighted in the plainest of plain work severest undergarments of calico or flannel she had taken upon herself to supply my mother's poor cottage tenants with underclothing a very worthy purpose but i could not help wishing she had deferred a little more to the universal sense of beauty in her contributions to the cottagers wardrobes surely those prison-like garments must have appalled their recipients my inexperienced eye noted only their ugliness in shape and coarseness of texture i longed for a little trimming a softer quality of flannel i am afraid they must hurt the people who get them i said one day when miss marjoram exhibited her bale of flannel underwear they are delightfully warm and friction is beneficial to health she replied severely i don't know what more you would have it irked me not a little to note miss marjoram's suspicious air when she discussed my evening occupations for i knew she had more influence over my mother than any one living and i fancied that she would not scruple to use that influence against me i had lost her friendship long ago by childish rudenesses which i looked back upon with regret but which i could not obliterate 
from her memory by the studious civilities of later years i went back to cambridge and my mother and her devoted companion left Connaught place for brighton dr gall having strongly recommended sea air after exhausting his scientific means in the weary battle with nerve pain it was a relief to me when i thought of esperanza to know that miss margram was fifty miles away from great ormond street those suspicious glances and prying questions of hers had frightened me when i thought of esperanza when was she not the centre and circumference of my thoughts i worked hard missed no lecture neglected no opportunity for i had made up my mind to play the game of life off my own bat but esperanza's image was with me whatever i was doing i think i mixed up her personality in an extraordinary fashion with the higher mathematics she perched like a fairy upon every curve or slid sylph-like along every line i weighed her and measured her and calculated the doctrine of chances about her she became in my mind the ruling and to commonize invisible spirit of the science of quantity and number could this interval between the asking in church and my wedding day be any other than a period of foolish dreaming of fond confusion and wandering thoughts i was not twenty-one and i was about to take a step which would inevitably offend my only parent the only being to whom i stood indebted for care and affection in the rash hopefulness of a youthful passion i made sure of being ultimately forgiven but hopeful as i was i knew it might be some time before i could obtain pardon in the meantime i had an income which would suffice for a youthful menage i would find a quiet home for esperanza at one of the villas on the granchester road till i had taken my degree and then i should have to begin work in london indeed i had fixed in my own mind upon a second floor in martha's roomy old house which would be conveniently near the temple where i might share a modest set of chambers with a cambridge friend in the deep intoxication of my love-dream great ormond street seemed just the most delightful spot in which to establish the cosy home i figured to myself it would be an infinite advantage to live under my dear old nurse's roof and to know that she would watch over my girl-wife while i sat waiting for briefs in my dingy chambers or reading law with an eminent q c i had asked esperanza on the night of our betrothal whether she thought we could live upon five hundred a year a ripple of laughter preluded her reply dear george do you know what my father's income was she asked sixty-five pounds a year he paid fifteen pounds a year for our cottage and garden such a dear old garden and we had to live and clothe ourselves upon the other fifty pounds he was very shabby sometimes poor darling but we were always happy though i seemed so helpless in getting my own living i think i could keep house for you and not waste your money five hundred a year why you are immensely rich i told her that i should be able to add to our income by the time we had been married a few years and then we would have a house in the country and a garden and a pair of ponies for her to drive and cows and poultry and all the things that women love what a happy dream it was and how the sweet pale face brightened under the lamplight as she listened to me i want nothing but your love she said nothing i am not afraid of poverty the three weeks were gone i got an exit and went up to london by an early train i had directed esperanza to meet me at the church whose doors we had so often passed together in our evening walks and where we had knelt side by side one sunday evening she was to take martha to church with her but not till the last moment not till they were at the church door was she to tell my old nurse what was going to happen lest an idea of duty to the mother should induce her to betray the son the air was crisp and bright and the wintry landscape basked in the wintry sun between cambridge and stratford but the dull greyness of our metropolitan winter wrapped me round when i left bishopsgate street and there was a thin curtain of fog hanging over my beloved 
bloomsbury when my hansom rattled along the sober old world streets to the heavy georgian church i sprang from the cab as if i had worn mercury's sandals told the man to wait and ran lightly up the steps pushed back the heavy door and entered the dark temple hushed and breathless how solemn and cold and ghostly the church looked how grey and pale the great cold windows the fog seemed thicker here than in the streets outside and the dreary fane was empty i looked at my watch twenty minutes to eleven i had entreated her to be at the church at least ten minutes before the hour and i felt bitterly disappointed that she had not anticipated the appointment her last letter was three days old could she be ill could any evil thing have happened i hurried back to the church door intending to get into my cab and drive to ormond street i changed my mind before i had crossed the threshold i might miss her on the way drive by one street while she and martha were walking to another again there was something undignified in a bridegroom rushing off in search of his bride my place was to wait in the church i had seen a good many weddings in our parish church in suffolk and i knew that the bride was almost always late yet in spite of this experience i had expected my bride in advance of the appointed time she had no wreath of orange blossoms no bridal veil to adjust no doting mother or sister bridesmaids to flurry and hinder her under the pretence of helping she had no carriage to wait for her impatience to see me after nearly three weeks should have brought her to the church earlier than this then i remembered martha no doubt she was waiting for martha that good soul was interviewing the butcher or adjusting her paisley shawl while i was fretting and fuming in the church i had no best man to reason with my impatience and keep up my spirits my best man was to be the parish clerk and he had not yet appeared upon the scene i saw a pew opener creeping about a pew opener in the accustomed clothes black bonnet and sober apparel esperanza's bridesmaid martha would have to give her away i took a turn round the church looked at the monuments and even stood still to read a tablet here and there and knew no more of the inscription after i had read it than if it had been in choice assyrian i opened the heavy door and went out on to the steps and stood watching a stray cab or a stray pedestrian dimly visible through the thickening fog i looked at my watch every other minute between anger and despair it was five minutes to eleven the curate who was to marry us passed me on the steps and went into the church unsuspecting that i was to be the chief actor in the ceremony i stood looking along the street in the only direction in which my bride was to be expected and my heart sickened as the slow minutes wore themselves out till it was nearly a quarter past eleven i could endure this no longer my hansom was waiting on the opposite side of the street i lifted my finger and signed to the driver to come over to me there was nothing for it but to go to great armand street and discover the cause of delay before the man could climb into his seat and cross the road a broom drove sharply up to the church steps a broom of dingy aspect driven by a man whose livery branded him as a flyman i was astonished at the fly but never doubted that it brought me my dear love and my heart was light again and i ran to greet her with a welcoming smile the carriage door was sharply opened from within and my mother stepped out and stood before me tall and grave in her neat dark travelling dress her fine features sharp and clear in the wintry gloom mother i exclaimed aghast i know i am not the person you expected george she said quietly badly as you have behaved to me i am sorry for your disappointment where is esperanza i cried unheeding my mother's address it was only afterwards that her words came back to me in that long dull afterwards when i had leisure to brood over every detail in this agonizing scene she is safe and in good hands and she is where you will never see her again that's a lie i cried if she is among the living i will find her if she is dead i will follow her you are violent and unreasonable but i suppose your foolish passion must excuse you when you have read this letter you will be calmer i hope 
she gave me a letter in esperanza's writing we had moved a few paces from the church steps while we talked i read the letter walking slowly along the street my mother at my side dearest i am going away i am not to be your wife it was a happy dream but a foolish one i should have ruined your life that has been made clear to me and i love you far too dearly to be your enemy you will never see me again don't be unhappy about me i shall be well cared for i am going very far away but if it were to the farthest end of the earth and if i were to live a hundred years i should never cease to love you or learn to love you less good-bye for ever esperanza i know whose hand is in this i said miss marjoram miss marjoram is my true and loyal friend and yours too though you may not believe it whoever it may be who has stolen my love away from me that person is my dire and deadly foe whether the act is yours or hers it is the act of my bitterest enemy and i shall ever so remember it look here mother let there be no misunderstanding between you and me i love this girl better than my life whatever trick you have played upon her whatever cajoleries you and miss marjoram have brought to bear upon her whatever false representations you may have made appealing to her unselfishness against her love you have done that which will wreck your son's life unless you can undo it i have saved my son from the shipwreck his own folly would have made of his life my mother answered calmly i have seen what these unequal marriages come to before the wife is thirty it would be no unequal marriage the girl i love is a lady a village organist's daughter by her own confession totally without education a pretty delicate young creature with a certain surface refinement i grant you but do you think that would stand the wear and tear of life or counterbalance your humiliation when people ask questions about your wife's antecedents and belongings people even the politest people will ask those questions george my dear dear boy the thing you were to have done to-day would have been utter ruin to your social existence for the next fifty years you will never be rich enough or great enough to live down such a marriage don't preach to me i cried savagely you have broken my heart surely that is enough for you i broke away from her as she laid her hand upon my arm such a shapely hand in a dark gray glove i remember even in that moment of anguish and of anger how my dear love had often walked by my side gloveless shabbier than a milliner's apprentice no she was not of my mother's world no more was titania she belonged to the realm of romance and fairy not to belgravia or mayfair i ran back to the spot where the hansom still waited for me jumped in and told the man to drive to great ormond street i left my mother standing on the pavement to find her way back to her carriage as she could to go where she would i knocked at the lodging-house door loud enough to wake the seven sleepers i pushed past the scared maid-servant and dashed into martha's parlour she was sitting with her spectacles on her nose poring over a tradesman's book and with other books of the same kind on the table before her martha this is your doing i said you betrayed me to my mother oh mr george forgive your old nurse that loves you as if you were her own flesh and blood i only did my duty by you and my mistress it would never have done sir it would never have done she called me dear as in the old nursery days tears were streaming down her withered cheeks it was you then yes it was me mr george leastways me and benjamin we talked it over a long time before he wrote the letter to my mistress at brighton sarah came home from church on sunday dinner-time the drawing-rooms were dining out and the second floor is empty so there was nothing to hinder sarah's going to church she came home at dinner-time and told me you and esperanza campbell had been asked in church for the third time you might have knocked me down with a feather i never thought she could be so artful i talked it over with benjamin and he posted a letter that night and miss marjoram came up from brighton next morning and came to see esperanza how did you know that mr george i know miss marjoram 
yes it was miss marjoram that came she asked to see esperanza alone and they were shut up together for over an hour and then the bell was rung and miss marjoram told the girl to pack up miss campbell's things bring her box down to the hall and when she had done that to fetch a four-wheeler sarah was nearly as upset as i was but she and i packed the things between us such a few things poor child and carried the box downstairs and i waited in the hall while sarah ran for the cab and presently esperanza came out with miss marjoram and put on her hat and jacket and then came to bid me good-bye she put her arms round my neck and kissed me and though i had done my duty by you and your ma mr george i felt like judash it was right of you to tell she said it was only right for his sake and miss marjoram hurried her down the steps and into the cab before she could say another word i do believe the poor dear child gave you up without a murmur mr george because she knew that it would have been your ruin to marry her fudge that had been drummed into her by miss marjoram you have done me the worst turn you ever did any one in your life martha and yet i thought if there was anybody in the world i could trust it was you where did the cab go do you know that charing cross station i heard miss marjoram give the order End of chapter twenty